What is up, people? How are you doing? Welcome to episode. Oh, it must be 47, right? Episode 47 of Echoes from the Goddamn Void. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's been a lot going on, right? Notre Dame, Notre Dame burnt down, which is, yeah, it's kind of crazy. But, 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 let, let, let's, you know, address. It didn't actually burn down, did it? You know, we, like, no real, like, no one was killed, which is always a blessing right no art or artifacts were destroyed so again golden that's all good and all that was really lost was the um like the steeple like the rest of the building it it managed to kind of avoid a lot of serious damage which is good another good thing but um everyone is going crazy right so we have all these organizations that are um you know throwing money at uh at the church so they can rebuild because marcone is like um you know we will rebuild it bigger and better yeah all right calm down Calm down. See how much money you have. You know what I mean? But already, um, like Paris City Hall and um, LVMH had promised 50 million euros apiece. Um, yeah. Wait, no, 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 no. So I think the Paris City Hall is 50 and LVMH is 200 million euros so that's crazy like Tim Cook has said Apple is gonna give them money you know I mean like there's a lot of GoFundMe pages and all of this kind of thing going yes we will we will give you money to rebuild this iconic uh, structure but like the big thing that you know i haven't heard i haven't heard at all during any of this um catholic church they have not said they will give anything like they haven't said they will give a thing and let, let's think about it right so uh notre dame gets 30,000 visitors a day, like, on average, so I don't know how much it costs to, you know, do tours or whatnot, all of that, but there's all that money, okay, so there's all that money that they're sitting on, but the, um, (laughs) if we look at the church itself, right, the Catholic church the vatican bank has eight me eight sorry eight billion dollars in assets this was from reports 
or, or in 2015 8 billion in assets so yeah that that you know that was 4 years ago but you know you you can imagine with interest and all that shit that total hasn't gone down it's gone up that's probably gone up if you're thinking about it all right so that's that then um so they were looking at the Vatican itself, right, and their um, and what money they had, and so they reported in two thousand and fifteen. Um, no, sorry, in a twenty fourteen financial statement, that the Vatican had one point one billion euros. So that's one point two billion dollars assets that weren't previously on the balance sheet so you have to think what the fuck is that what the fuck is that so there's you know what I mean they're sitting on all of this all of this money all of this money you know that they have then you look at all the land now understand right the way it is obviously and like you know it's 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 the thing that everyone does they kind of have put it so the individual churches and hospitals that like a lot of the times they it's down that they own the land or the um the archbishops of each diocese you know so but essentially the church owns that land right so they have all that money like people leave the church all their money in their wills people you think about all the people that leave all their money in their wills like the people that go every week to church and are putting money in the stupid little thing that goes around okay so they have all of this money but hey maybe i'm wrong and they have said it, but I haven't seen anywhere where the Catholic Church has said, listen, people, people, it, you know what, it, it touches our hearts that you would, you know, donate all of this money, you know, we, we so appreciate it, but listen we're good we're golden we got money we'll rebuild this it's on us don't worry it's good and then on top of that right so you know the church the, the, the steeple burnt down a few days later we have all the shootings in Sri Lanka right so you have the the horrendous situations the bombs and the shootings in Sri Lanka right now there's floods in South Africa so we have all of this going on as well around the world I ain't hearing anyone giving any money to that you know what I mean like no one's like oh my god we should raise money for that you know if you look at the amount of money raised to build to rebuild this steeple 
and the amount of money that has been donated to like the, the you know the underprivileged the, the the starving the homeless in Africa or anywhere else around the world I tell you right now it would be dwarfed by the amount of money that has been raised in just these few days for a damn building now don't get me wrong look I've got membership to the Tate I go to galleries and museums all the time I like a nice bit of architecture you know what I mean? That's my kind of holiday. I'll go somewhere, I'll look around, you know what I mean? Learn about the history, all of that. That's what I love. I love doing that shit. But it's a building. I'm not crying over a building. If it comes for giving money to a building and giving money to a person who desperately needs it. Desperately needs it, and I'm not talking about these fucking idiots that go, like put up GoFundMe's because they're like, I haven't had a holiday in a few years, or <clears throat> you know, oh, I really want to go to Disneyland. Fuck those people. I'm talking about people that desperately need it, people that are dying, people that are starving. Money goes to them every fucking time. Fuck a building. And the building, it's not completely, it's, you know, it's not even destroyed in itself. So, people will still go visit. So, they'll still be making money off of that shit. The church still has a bucket load of money. Stop donating money to the fucking church. Jesus Christ, people. This is insane. It's insane. I, I, we really need to get our priorities straight, you know what I mean, because if we, put, if we draw a line on what they have right now, they are golden, they are golden, they do not need any more, so calm the fuck down, and let's try and help people that are really in need, and let's help people closer to fucking home. All the homeless people on the streets. You know what I mean? The people starving in our back fucking yards. Let's help those motherfuckers, right? Jeez. Alright, let's look at some other crazy fucking news that's been going this week. Okay, so I didn't know about this. I only found out about this story... Um, initially I heard about it the other day when I went to Uncle and um, I went for drinks with my friend's peoples afterwards and then I looked into it, okay, so um, Crystal Palace goalkeeper Wayne Hennessy got in trouble with the English Football Association because there was a picture of him making a Nazi salute when they were, him and the team were out, um, on, you know, a night out, having drinks and shit like that, okay, um, and the crazy thing is, he got away with it, he got away with it, 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 it's like, it's crazy, (laughs) you know what I mean, it's, it's, it's insane, the fact that, 
the the story that he made up, they believed. You know, it, it's just, it, it yeah, it, it it's insane. So essentially, right, what he said was, he didn't know what a Nazi salute was. Okay, so he told them. He didn't know what a Nazi salute was. He's 32. Right? He's 32. And he's trying to claim. He doesn't know what a Nazi salute was. Which. Which is insane. So the FA panel. That heard his case. Said he showed a lamentable degree of ignorance. About Adolf Hitler. Fascism. And the Nazi regime. And uh, his manager. Is <laughs> said. He is actually very desperate now. To learn as much as he can. It, it's just like. It's insane. This is an insane story. And it's crazy. That. You know, the, the, these people are, are believing his bullshit. Right? He's saying that the way the picture was taken, it misrepresented what he was actually doing. So, what he was actually doing was trying to get a waiter's attention. So, he his arm was up to wave and his hand... Was like under his nose. So he could shout out. To the waiter. And kind of funnel. The sound. That's what he's saying. But. If that is the case. You don't put your hand. You kind of cup your hand. You're cupping your hand. Into a circle. It's just an insane excuse and it's just pitiful that the FA didn't do anything about it. And, and, you know, it doesn't surprise me, though, because the FA is a group of white guys and they're full of shit. Like, there's so much racism and bullshit in football. And they try and claim that, oh, everything is fine. Like, oh, there's nothing going on. And it's just like, you're full of shit, people. You know, this is the problem with football. This is why I don't go to football matches. That, and I just find it horrendously boring now. And that's just from the... And that really stems from the racism. So, yeah. I just, I just find this crazy like to say that you know nothing about you know the war and nazis and everything like that i just just straight off the bat like thinking about it tarantino made inglorious bastards that had a nazi theme and plot going all the way through it christopher nolan um did Dunkirk, you had the Peter Jackson film, 
there's so much it's not like it's a subject that's kind of been brushed aside it's in films it's in tv programs like and every year when it's like d the anniversary of d-day or armistice and, and things like this we you know well, there's programming and and just information about what went down so anyone trying to make a claim that they know nothing it's they're just full of shit and especially look he's 32 like if he was if it was a five-year-old or something you can be like all right maybe maybe 32 no no there's a straight up lie and it's just pitiful the fact that this was just brushed under the carpet like it was it's just it's a shame it's it's a dirty rotten shame you know what i mean uh so um samson (laughs) oh man they are having issues right so a few years ago their phones were blowing up now they they really wanted to take that next leap forward in technology and they created a folding phone um i i believe um it's called it's called like uh galaxy fold which you know original right um but yeah so they have this phone and they just sent it out to a load of reviewers so they can gush and put out like a load of great PR about their phone and you know before it goes on general sale well gotta rein that shit in because yeah the phone's been breaking like everyone that got these reviewing phones their phones have broken in the space of one or two days which is crazy it's not good it's not good right and everyone that has been you know reviewing these phones they're saying that look all we did was just you know the normal things that you would do with your phone so you know it, it, it it's it's not like they weren't doing anything insane now i think something like samson was saying was that um it's because people were removing um this this protective film that is on the screen but then another reviewer said like oh he was going to but didn't and it still broke but the but the thing being right, if whether your phone breaks or not is down to a, a a a thin bit of film you put on the screen, surely you attach it in a way that no one can peel off, and the or you at least have a message going, don't remove the film because it will stop your phone from breaking, but. Even if people didn't remove the film, 
we all know what happens with film after a while it starts to peel so it's gonna start to peel of its own accord so you'd kind of feel that's not the safest kind of measure for this phone which is crazy and also supposedly the phone doesn't completely shut when folded there's a little gap in between so like if you've got i don't know like any just small bullshit in your pocket that could get in the gap and scratch the shit out of your phone it seems a bit weird if you're making a folding phone it should completely should completely close and then lock in place or something but i think the big question is do we need a folding phone or folding tablets it's kind of weird right you know look there's tablets and then there's that um is it phablets the the name of the, the, the those devices that are kind of in between so there's those and and phones have got crazy big right now which is great for me because it just means the text is easier to see i have no issue with that but this is a thing that people are fine with and if you want anything bigger you either get a tablet or you get a laptop so it just doesn't seem like this is a need you know the things that people want really are just long lasting batteries you don't want to have to kind of you know charge your phone all the time you want to be in a situation where you could go on holiday for a week take photos listen to podcasts and music and shit and your phone is golden you know what i mean you you want to be able to go out without having to charge your phone or carry around cables and bullshit like that so that's what you need to work on and then just extended memory because at the moment my phone keeps on going oh you need to delete shit i'm just like i haven't really got much shit on my phone like what's going on and what happened with cloud storage you know so this is the shit they need to be working on rather than bullshit fads like folding phones but yeah it's kind of crazy it's definitely setting back shit at samson but there's been no word of you know what the next steps are gonna be but obviously they need to do some serious shit to work this out so um yeah who knows if a folding phone will actually come out or at least come out this year who knows man i don't know we will see right well that was a great evening god damn it man just back from the south bank center and um a great night of listening to uncle yeah you know what i mean jamie lavelle was there doing his thing with a whole heap of cats to collaborate with you know what i mean it was just god damn it i think they played for two hours it was like two hours man of sonic greatness you know what i mean so um the warm-up 
was Skinny Palembi. Um, I don't know. P E L E M B E. Skinny Palembi. Um, and you know what? It was an interesting sound. It kind of reminded me of like a funky XX. You know what I mean? Something like that. Maybe with some kind of local natives kind of sprinkled in. You know, it, it, it had this kind of, yeah, just it, this funky kind of beat. And, but the only problem was that you kind of find a, a lot of the times with shows that the sound for the warm-up just isn't great. Like, you know what I mean? The instruments, you could hear the instruments and everything like that, but it's the mics. The mics are always the problem. And, um, yeah, couldn't really hear anything he was saying, which was a shame because, you know what I mean, as I said, look, the music sounded good, sounded funky. So it's definitely um, something I'm going to have to check on Apple Music, you know what I mean, see if it's floating around there, maybe on Spotify, one of the two. You know what I mean? So I'm going to have to look up this cat. Because, yeah, sounded interesting. But, um, hey, it was, it was just really all about Uncle Man. They, ah, uh, it was just incredible. It was a great night. They'd split it up into two. So there was an hour of, um, for the most part, it was more of the uh, the instrumental bass tracks. So, you know what I mean? So, there was an hour of that. And it was just this kind of... Ah. Uh, like, it's a sound roller coaster. You feel me? You know what I mean? It's just like all this, this kind of psychedelic... Ah. Uh, transcendent sound that just kind of engrosses you and just sucks you up and just yeah just being able to listen to that with the with these kind of weird visuals and everything i forgot there's gonna be a light show so i was trying not to blind myself on it all but yeah it was it was fantastic man it was fantastic. It's kind of like, because, you know, so, what, I think there was a guitarist, a drummer, and a, a, a keyboardist on stage. I think Jamie was behind some decks, but he could, he, you know what I mean, it was one of those, ones because it's just like, unless you have dancers and everything else, there's not much for them to do. So, occasionally, they'd be like going, clap. Everyone clap. Or he'd jump up on the spot for like a second, then kind of feel like, oh shit, no, I'm not doing this. And then he stopped. But oh man, the clapping. Clapping just drives me insane in gigs because people can't get a beat. It's, it's just like, it's either just so offbeat, it's just ridiculous. Or they don't get, like, the clapping isn't at the right part of the song. You mean there's no just point clapping at the beginning because it's the beginning. It's got to build to the drop or something. You know what I mean? So yeah, all the clapping was just off. It was just off. It was crazy. It was, yeah, it was ridiculous. But 
yeah, it, it's like, then there was a gap. And, like, what I don't understand, listen, right? People, people, there is always going to be an encore. You know, basically, until the lights come on, expect more music. So, you know, they stop. Then they went off, right? Lights are still down. And loads of people were leaving the venue. And it's just like, what the fuck are you doing, people? But, you know what I mean? Essentially, I think the break was meant to be shorter, but they had a few issues. But then, of course, they came back. And he was just like, look, we're just splitting up the show. So now all the guests are coming through. Uh, Yeah, and so now this was the vocal-laden section of the evening, and so, yeah, it was, it was just more, man, so, you know, I mean, like, all the classic songs were played, you know, I mean, like, all that shit, like, Be There, um, War, Keys to the Kingdom, Lonely Soul, you know, we just heard all of this stuff, but just with, um, In State, but just with a different kind of tinge to it, you know what I mean, like the di- the different vocalists, they came, they brought their kind of funk, their kind of style to things, which just helped make it just, like, because you don't want a carbon copy of the album, you know what I mean, because that's just boring, I've been to those gigs, and it's just like, why did I pay this money, I could have just sat at home and listened to the fucking CD, so this wasn't that, which is always a good thing, um, so yeah, like, we, all these different weird kind of versions of the songs, which just kind of, ah, it was great, man, it was, it was great, it's one of those things, because the South Bank is kind of, is, you know, it's seated, like, they did, they did a gig on the Thursday night, yesterday, um, at the Queen Elizabeth Hall, and that was in the foyer, so that wasn't seated, that was like, that was your jump around gig, you feel me, Um, but yeah, so it's seated, but you're still having a good time, still having a good time, Uh, but oh my god, ah, the, the bane of my life, so there was some wooers sitting right by me, and and it's just like you know what I mean. Look, if a girl's gonna woo I, I, or you know, scream out, that's fine because you expect that. You know what I mean? That high pitch. But when you've got a guy sitting next to you, like woo, woo, you're just like, just stop, son, stop. Add some bass to it or shut the fuck up. You feel me? It's just like, god damn it, man. Yeah, it was it was irritating. It was frustrating, but didn't spoil the evening. It was a great ah uh, great evening. Went with my boy Phil, um, who I like didn't like when I said look I got uncle man, and he's just like all right I'll come, but he didn't really. I think he didn't know, but then when he heard the shit, he was just like yo yeah yeah, yeah I know uncle what the fuck man, so that was good. Crazy thing, we bumped into a few of these peoples from fucking Ireland as well. 
It was all the damn places. So afterwards, went for a few drinks. You know what I mean? Just talked about the gig, just a good time. As they would say, had the crack. I think that's how you say it. I don't care. What the fuck? But yeah, no, it was just it was just an awesome, awesome evening, man. Awesome evening. So uh, I'm definitely going to be checking out the new album. Um which is what the road part two lost highway. Crazy thing is I, I remember I went to a um a gallery exhibition of art from um like you know uncle and the like the albums and, and that kind of thing. So I went to that I think that must have been in two thousand and seven. And um, then they played Somerset House, I think, later on that year. And that's when, like, the first The Road Part 1 came out. But, I, you know, I forgot it was Part 1. So I wasn't, I f- I'd forgot there was meant to be, you know, the Part 2 and everything like that. Because, they, you know, they show parts of the documentary at this exhibition and everything like that. Which I still haven't got around to seeing. So it's kind of brought all this shit back. So now, got to go see the documentary, you know what I mean? Because it's been two fucking years, man. Yeah. But it's crazy, man. But yeah, awesome evening. It was a whole heap of fun. If you get the opportunity, definitely go see Uncle Man. Because, look, that, like, this shit spans. You know what I mean? Like, you think of just those, those classic albums. You know, War Stories, which is always a favourite. Never Neverland. Science Fiction. Um, end Titles. Oh, man. It, it, it's just like, where did the night fall? The, these albums, they're like soundtracks to your generation, you know what I mean? So, hey, there's always going to be a great gig. But yeah, that's that's it was a good start to this long weekend. All right, let's see what else it will bring. Well, it's Easter weekend and how better to, um you know, kick back and chill than watch a UFC card and like today's one came from St. Petersburg, Russia. It was fight night 149. Uh, Alistair Overeen against um, Alexei Olenik. And um, because it was from Russia, it meant that it was a, a another really good sociable time in the UK. Like, the prelim started at two. So, you know what I mean? Perfect. A perfect, um, you know what I mean? Event to watch, really. And I'm going to go to the main card. But, <clears throat> you know, things started crazily w- with the prelims. The first three fights ending super fast, you know. Um... The first fight was, oh my gosh. See, the problem with the Russian card is we got a lot of um, Russian fighters, Kagistan, like Polish. Like the pronunciations, I'm definitely going to butcher. So don't hate. 
because yeah this is gonna be a mess but see the first fight it was Magomed Mostefev against Rafael Fiziev and Fiziev's had a lot of hype behind him uh, but so had Magomed they were both great fighters but um, I think Fiziev came in as the favourite but it, you know, both it was looking lively. Both were light on their feet. It seemed that Magomed, because he'd already had a, 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 you know, I think one or two fights in the octagon, so you could see that. I think he got his timing a lot sooner than um Rafael did. And Magomed, he he landed. He threw one spinning attack, missed. He threw another that landed, um, like, to the chest. Then he threw one. And, oh my gosh, landed square on the chin. Put Raphael down. And that, and that basically was it. He, he followed up with, I think, one hammer fist. But, yeah, Magomed won that one nicely nicely you know I, th- I think Raphael could come back from this it'd be interesting to see how he does in the next fight you know octagon jitters do seem to be a legitimate thing so you know then it will I think we'll be able to see his true fight himself in the next fight but this was all Magnumev and um yeah he did a great job and that was all in the first round you know i think it was like a minute and a half into the first round it's crazy next fight oh my gosh so we went to the light heavy see the first fight was lightweight next we had light heavyweight and that fight ended even quicker and i have to say these do these light heavyweights they were moving like the lightweights before it was so fast um so we had oh my god gads gadsimurid antigalov against michael oleg ochechek um and antigalov he 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 started quickly, came in, he you know what I mean he was shooting. Oleganachev, he was, you know, retreating, having to to move back, a lot of movement to evade Antigolov. But the problem was Antigolov was coming in hard and fast, but his guard was down. And so Oleganachev just hit him, hit him, knocked him down. He then got up. And Lukachev hit him again. You know, I think the first one might have been a glancing. But the second one was heavier. And, you know, he definitely put him on his ass. And Tigalev managed to get back up. He's he's moving around. But he's still, I think he was like, right, I need to get these shots back. So he came in again. Lukachev. Hit like landed a nice hook, put him down, and then went in, 
landed another hook while he was on the ground and that was it and Tigalov was out cold out cold that was a ridiculous fight and that was like not even a minute had gone basically I think it's like 44 seconds 50 seconds maybe it was really early in the first round it was insane we then went to heavyweight uh and it was Marcin Tibura against Shamil Abjurak Abjurak Kikomarafer that was I butchered that one um and you think about it, right? So it wasn't that long ago that Marcin was being heralded as a potential contender to the heavyweight title. You know, he'd been on a run. He'd fought well. It was, I think it was his fight against the Doom, where he's pretty dominated, that... And he didn't really seem to know what to do on the ground or anything. And ever since that fight, he's just been a bit... He's been a bit off. And, um, yeah, in, in this fight against Shamil... Shamil looked the sharper fighter from the get-go. You know? It's like... Marcin... I don't know. It, it's just like... It looked like he was just, I said, like he was in concrete. He was a bit slow. He was a bit sluggish. You know, he was landing, but nothing seemed to be with much intent. You know, it, it was little kind of just kind of touches, he was just throwing out some touching, his guard was kind, it wasn't down, but it wasn't fully up, it, it like, everything about him just didn't, it just didn't seem like he had the confidence, really, until, um, I would say the beginning of the second round, he, he started to look a bit better, a bit, bit sharper but he, the problem was he was always he was moving back but moving back in a straight line like before he engaged you know there was movement he's ducking he's weaving but once he engaged with Shamil his movement was very um it, it was very transparent, you knew exactly what he was going to do, what his intentions were, and, and that was his downfall in this fight, because Shamil, and also, Shamil was throwing combinations, Marcin wasn't, he wasn't really mixing it up, he was throwing a few kicks, but not much, Shamil was the one coming with a more varied attack, and, um, so yeah, it was it was probably just over halfway into the first, second round. Shamil, he, he I think he landed a jab. Marcin again just went back in a straight line, and um, Shamil landed a nice hook. 
staggering Marcine. He like he he stayed on his feet, but he was clearly rocked. Uh, he staggered back against the fence. Shamil just swarmed him and was just throwing heavy combinations until the ref just stepped in and stopped the fight. So um, yeah, like the first three fights, first three fights, as I said, look, they were crazy, crazy fights. Um. Like the next, the next fights were fine. The next fights were fine, but I'm gonna move to the main card. You know what I mean? Because I mean, this is where it really, um, yeah, the, the, the main card was just great. Some great fights. Uh, we start off with Christoph Jocko against Alan Amadeski, and um. Look, before this fight, Jocko had shown some great potential, but he'd also shown a lot of lapses. And I think the commentary they they talked a lot about Jocko, you know, working on his mental strength. You know, he's seen a sports psychiatrist, and he was working on that to really round out his game. And it showed in this fight. Like, he pretty much dominated, dominated Alan for the full three rounds. He was sharp. He varied his attack. His movement was great. It was probably one of the best performances from Jocko. That we've seen in the octagon. I'd say that. Like his fight against Uriah Hall was good. I think the second fight. But this. This one was. Just straight dominance. Straight dominance. It was, it was a superb performance. We then. As, and that was middleweight. We went, then moved to the women's flyweight. Roxanne Modafferi. Against Antonia Shevchenko. And Shevchenko was the clear favourite coming into this fight. I think it's like, you look at Valentina, her sister, and Valentina is just all around a great fighter. Her stand-up, her um, her wrestling defence, you know, and she's got takedowns, and her, her ground... A ground attack. She's got a lot of submission victories. You know, her jiu-jitsu is good. She's really good on the ground. And because both sisters train together in Thailand, you know, you you kind of feel that Antonia has those same skills. So it was fair to think she was going to steamroll Modafferi. But I, I think... It was clear on the feet that um, Shevchenko had, you know, she had the advantage. But she wasn't able to really sting Modafferi. She wasn't able to kind of hold her off. And Modafferi just came forward. She came forward with the intention of taking Shevchenko down. Um, I think it was probably halfway through the first round that she got her down. And then basically controlled 
Shevchenko on the ground. Like Modafferi, like in the past, she's tried to use her jiu-jitsu when she's got someone down. And oftentimes she loses position and then you get the stand-up. But now she's more, she's more kind of down to um, work on her ground and pound. And we saw that in the Honachik fight where she mounted and just pounded her out. And that's what she was doing. She was controlling Shevchenko on the ground and just punching, punching and controlling her. It went to the second round and Mudafari got Shevchenko down a lot quicker and then just controlled her the whole round. The third round, again, um, I think Antonio was able to keep it up standing a lot longer. But as soon as Mother Fairy took her down, that was it. Like, Shevchenko had no defense. She couldn't, she couldn't do anything off her back, which is concerning. You know, because when you look at the flyweights, there's a lot of good wrestlers. So, I, I, I think Shevchenko really needs to now go away and work on her back. Solely work on her back. Work on um, getting people back into guard. Work on, you know, her butterfly guard. Work on getting up. Because if she, if she can't, her time in the um, octagon will be short. You know? Even though her sister is the champ, you know, she, she won't stick around if she just loses fights. And she will lose fights if she cannot stop the takedown and if she can't do anything off her back. We then go to heavyweight and we've got Sergei Pavlovich against Marcelo Golm. And I, I kind of feel we haven't seen Golm for a long time. And the last time we saw Pavlovich was, um, I think, I think he was a last rusher event. No, I don't think it was a last rusher, but he faced Overeem. Um, and yeah, like in that fight, he got knocked out his first loss. You know what I mean? He, I think everyone expected him to beat Overeem. But Overeem was just wily sharp and got that victory. In this fight against Gom, oh, I, you know, we, we saw the Polovic that we were expecting last time out. He was extremely good on his feet. His movement was good. His attacks were good. And he did not let this fight go long. There's a minute, maybe just over a minute in the first round. He just landed. I think it was a uppercut. And just, yeah, pounded out going. It was a great performance. And kind of shows if he can, you know, build up this momentum. Who knows what he could do in the heavyweight. Because you think about the heavyweight division, you know, string a few victories together. And if they're good victories, 
you're going to rise up and you're going to be fighting, you know what I mean, fighting that top top five pretty soon. So, um, yeah, could be very interesting. Then we've got the um, main event. It's the lightweights. It was Islam Makavev, Habib's cousin, uh, against Arman Sarakun. Um, and Sarakun was a a late replacement. I think he came in. Uh, it was something like maybe fifteen days notice. So, um, the the clear thought was that Islam was going just to run over and control Arman. But this was a frenetic frenetic fight it was crazy like you i the pace didn't really drop like it slowed slightly in the third round and armen like kind of got you could see he was getting fatigued but both fighters were still was still like keeping it back and forth keeping it Fast, frenetic, it was crazy. Like the wrestling scrambles were just ah it, it was a sight to see. And um Amen um was the first to take Islam down. So um you know what I mean? Like you wonder what could he have done on a full fight camp. But yeah, the this, this it look. The, the scrambles were good. It was close. But Islam, you know, his experience did show. Did show. And, oh, it, I mean, you you could have given Armen maybe the first round. But then, like, the next two rounds were, like, the second round was definitely Islam. The third round, again, it was, it was very close. But... Like, Islam landed a couple of takedowns and one right at the very end, which you feel like it did cement him the fight. So, you know what I mean? It was close. Our men was in there a lot longer and a lot harder than people expected. But Islam showed, showed his strength, showed his class, and showed that, hey, if he can keep this up, he's definitely going to be a contender in the lightweight division we so now we're on to the main event heavyweights Alistair Overeen against uh, Alexi Olenek and you know I, I, I think when you were looking at this fight it was grappler against striker although Overeen you know we know he's got um, grappling. We know he's got a submission game. He, like, I, I mean, we've we've seen the striking mostly of late, but you know he had Stipe in a um, in a in a in a really good uh, guillotine that was very close. So you know it, it was going to be an interesting fight. He was definitely the more proficient striker, which was gonna be the thing. Because Olenek, he he's 
he's won a few by knockout, but he's more kind of just swinging, looping those punches in. Um, and this fight, it started and straight away it was clear. Look, it was clear what Olenek wanted. You know, he wanted to tie up Overeem in the clinch, either drag him down or try and get the Ezekiel standing, because that's what he was doing. He was pinning him over up against the fence and trying to um, lock in an Ezekiel. See, the problem was, though, he he came forward all the time with his head down, you know, which isn't the best thing to do against Overeem because we all know Overeem has got dangerous knees, you know, dangerous knees. He knocked out um Mark Hunt with a knee, you know what I mean? I think he knocked out Junior with a knee as well. Like, he's got dangerous knees. So, Olenek, it wasn't a great game plan, but you kind of feel, there's Olenek hasn't got amazing, like, his wrestling is more get you against a fence and take you down, um, rather than can take you down easily from the centre of the octagon. Like, he can do, but it's more, you kind of feel it's more against the fence. Um, so, you can see he was just trying to push Overeem back. He was trying to bully him, get him into the clinch. But having his head down just opened him up for the knees. Um, and, yeah, he took some knees. Like, at the beginning, it was mainly to the body. Which didn't seem to be doing anything. Didn't seem to be slowing him down. Because he just kept on plodding forward. But. He, he then took a few to the head. Um, he still seemed to be fine. But. You, know, you kind of feel you can only take so many knees to the head. You know what I mean? And. Um, yeah. It, like Overeem had him in a clinch. And then hit him with a couple of really good knees. Really good knees. That put him down. And then, um, yeah, he just swarmed him. Landed some hammer fists. Then it was just a big elbow. And that was it. Olenek was done. He was done. Referee, like, you know what I mean? Waved it off. And uh, yeah, it was all it was all said and done. I think it was like, whoo! There was probably maybe thirty seconds left in the first round, but um, yeah, it, it was clearly Overeem. Although Overeem, he he was he was staggered a couple of times with punches. So you know, you kind of feel that Olenek, he you know what I mean he tried it. He attempted it. He, he he may have been close a couple of times if he could then have taken him down. Um, but yeah, he, the the big problem was, he, he, he you know the way he was just kind of coming in with his head down. That that seemed to be his downfall. But you know what I mean. This this ended a a really fun card. You know, like you could look at the card on paper and think, oh, 
there are a lot of unknown people here, a lot of people making their debut, but, do you know what I mean, I think, I think it was a lot of fun, <clears throat> yeah, I think it was, a, it was a great card, it was a lot of fun fights, and yeah, another good week of um, UFC, so, you know, we can, things continue next Saturday, with um, UFC Fight Night 150, uh, and yeah, got some good fights, man, Court McGee against Diego Lima, Angela Hill against Jody Escobel, which was a fight being rescheduled from a previous card, uh, I think it was last month, um, Jim Miller against Jason Gonzalez, <clears throat> Gilbert Burns against Mike Davis, Carla Esperanza against Vima Giordano, you know, coming from Invicta, Andrea Lesky against Augusto Saki, Ben Saunders coming back against Tasheshi Soto, um, and then the main card, oh. Roosevelt Roberts against Thomas Gifford, John Lineker against Corey Sagan, Glover, Glover Texera against Ion Kuchalaba, Alex Oliver, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> Alex Oliver, uh, Oliver, uh. <laughs> Alex. Oliveria, yeah, that will do, against Mike Perry, Greg Hardy against Dmitry Smolikov, and then Ronaldo Sosa against Jack Comanson, and with the way Jack Comanson has been fighting re- recently, you can't, I mean, you have to think, he stands a real good chance, a real good chance against Sosa. Uh, I kind of feel he he's probably the favourite. I kind of think, yes, Souza's the more experienced, but you kind of have to feel. I think Manson being the younger fighter, the heavy here, I think he might have to make him the favourite. I don't know. But what I do know is this is going to be a fun card, man. So, um, yeah, Saturday the 27th of April... Oh, more great UFC. All right, people. I'll, um, yeah, we'll talk more fights next week. Well, clearly, some evenings are just better than others. Ah, it was another night out at the um, South Bank Centre, the Royal Festival, well no actually, today it was the Queen Elizabeth Hall, uh, for the Chineke Orchestra, I think I pronounced that wrong again, yeah, but yes, um, I went, I went to see them, oh gosh, I think it was probably a couple of years, when they reopened the uh, Queen Elizabeth Hall, because they were the first concert, and that was fantastic, last night, well, this night, this evening, um, oh my gosh, it was so 
incredible. It was just like, I think one of the things I love the most about music is kind of seeing the structure, you know, how it all forms together, you know, and with classical, you can really see that because especially when you're there, you know, because you see the strings playing and then you, you, you see the horn and like all the other kind of components come together and the unison of it, the synchronicity of it is just, ah, it's incredible, man. And then it's how you have kind of, the, the you know, a, a melody playing and then you have someone playing something that either accompanies or it kind of sounds like it's slightly off you know what I mean it, so it, it, you think oh that's a little different and it's like layering up and layering up and layering it up and then you have this cacophony of sound that is incredible and uh, it's like one of the best feelings in the world you know what I mean just like experiencing that live it's just ah uh, always always good um so this was a, a concert to mark the first Stephen Lawrence day which to be honest I did not know I did not know to you know the 22nd of April was now Stephen Lawrence day um, so it's held on the anniversary of the teenager's death in 1993. Um, yeah, like I remember when that happened. It was just like, God damn it! It was like, whoa. I mean, it's kind of scary, you know what I mean? Because you just think, especially when. You've been in certain situations. You know what I mean? Like when you're walking down the street as a little kid. And you have people like shouting shit at you. And following you. and Like that's bullshit. And you think okay. Now like. But this is as bad as it's getting right. And then you find out. Oh no. Like you know what I mean? people are stabbing and attacking and, and it's just like god damn it man you know and then the fact is, is it's about like the, the struggle to convict was insane it was like an insane thing so yeah it, you know it's nice this happened uh and the music, as I said, like the music that was played tonight was was something else. Um, so the orchestra performs uh, Erilyn Wallen's upbeat concerto grosso for piano, violin, and double bass. Philip Herbert's eulogy, uh, which was written in memory of Stephen Lawrence. And featuring an orchestra of 18 string players, one for each year of his life. And sparkling starburst by the young American poser Jesse 
Montemegri. Avril Coleridge Taylor's Sussex Landscape receives a a rare performance, an expansive reflection on the beauty of that part of southern England where she spent the final years of her life. And Beethoven's joyous eighth symphony rounds off the evening. Um, yeah, I have to say, like the the elegy for um, Stephen Lawrence was such a great piece. It was it it, it was lovely. It. Just just the way it kind of all the strings came together and it just, oh man, it just kind of flowed over you, you know, it, it, it was such, it just really, it was very extremely emotional, it was a very emotional piece and it, yeah, it, it you, you really have to listen to it and, you know, this, this is, you know they're releasing a CD, but I have to say, if you can hear it live, ah, uh, it, it's just something else. And like, oh, uh, I, you know, I have to really say that um, Sussex landscape is incredible. It's ah, uh, like I could imagine this being played. I don't know. You, you, it. For some reason, I, I envision it in a film with kind of rolling vistas and just playing over like a montage of people, you know, preparing for something. Is I don't know why, but that is what came to mind as I was listening to this piece. You know, you kind of feel, oh, this would be perfect for the new Lion King with Simba, like, roaming the vistas, like, looking around and exploring. Ah, yeah, it's just such a great kind of expansive piece of work. And then the symphony number eight was just a great way to finish the night. It, it was, it's just a magnificent piece. You know what I mean? What can you say? It, it was just fantastic. It was really something else. This, it was a great, a really great evening. Had so much fun. Um, and I say, look, if you have an, an opportunity to see the Chineke Orchestra, definitely take it because this is the second time I've heard them and both both times different vastly different but extremely powerful extremely emotional like just you know transforms an evening transforms an evening and just makes you feel happy which which you know that's what it's all about right you you want something that kind of uplifts you 
something that just makes you feel warm something just makes you smile and and good music does that so you know why not take the opportunity to embrace it and hear it and discover it at any opportunity right you know so um yeah they they they're putting out a cd which um yeah, it's going to be good. It's, so it's coming out on NMC Recordings. Um, yeah, it's not a name though. Not a name. But I, I would definitely say... Probably if you go into the website, you would probably find information of it. But yeah, go check it out, people. You will not be disappointed. Oh, people, I nearly forgot. Hey, so we have actually got, you mean, just a little, a little, 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 you know, exclusive to drop on you. Well, it's not an exclusive. It's just something I, I borrowed. Um, but yeah, so as I mentioned, um, the orchestra played a, a eulogy to Stephen Lawrence. So um, sit back and you can listen to that right now because yeah it it was so good it was so good so yeah check it out
I really enjoyed season one, so I figured, you know what, I'm going to uh, check out season two of Fleabag. So, again, this was written and starring Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, it also had um, Shion Clifford, Olivia Coleman. Um, Jenny Rainsford she, like popped up now and again in some flashbacks. Bill Patterson, Brett Gellman, uh, Andrew Scott, and Hugh Skinner popped up again um, a couple of times. Uh, so, you know, it was roughly half an hour an episode six episodes as we do over here uh you know fleabag is kind of classified as a comedy drama so um yeah and like the the gist of um <clears throat> this season is this so it's picking up a year after the events of season one. Fleabag meets a priest, played by Andrew Scott, who gives her a whole new perspective on life, which is good because she's about to go to hell and back. Fleabag and Claire grow closer after an unexpected attack, but another side of her sister will emerge. Meanwhile, Dad still can't look Fleabag in the eye, and Godmother slivers closer into the girls' lives. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I really, as I said, look, I really enjoyed season one. So I figured, yeah, it'd be um well worth doing season two, uh, which I think it aired on the fourteenth of March. So it's been out for a little while, um, but you know it it wasn't like Netflix, iPlayer release everything every week. So you know I was waiting for it all to be um, all said and done. Uh, see, I think a problem going in was the fact that places like The Guardian kept on putting up pieces saying it's the funniest thing you've ever seen on tv it's the best thing you've ever seen on tv it's the most perfect tv show it has the most perfect tv show ending and there was just this constant stream of stuff that was really hard to miss because it's all over the bbc website you know it pops up in the news feed and so it's everything like this, you know, um, because watching it, it was it was good. It it was amusing. Like I wouldn't say I found it kind of as funny as season one. I wouldn't say it was laugh out loud, but it was amusing. You know, it made me smile a lot of the time. You know, but I I do think that. <clears throat> possibly this season lent more on on the drama than the comedy which 
is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. You know I mean that's because I think if you try and do exactly what you did in the first season, things get boring, things get tiresome. You know what I mean? And it it didn't do that, so I felt that was was good, and it kind of explored her character a bit more and a bit sooner. Because kind of in season one, it was just this kind of crazy ride. And then all the weird revelations came right at the end. So, you know, like the, you kind of saw the characters just insane. Like not insane as in insane, but I'm saying insane as in like doing all these risks, you know, throwing caution to the wind, just putting it all out there. But in this season, we kind of see why. You know what I mean? That's kind of shown earlier than before, which is good. So we see that. And I think we then see, like, I think this kind of hunt for acceptance, this hunt for love, you know what I mean, this hunt for, I think, friendship with a sister, which is all good, this, this was, this is good development, you know, this really helps you kind of emphasize with what's going on and the decisions that are being made. So all of this is really good, you know, it, it's interesting, we're, we're seeing this, and we're also seeing a new kind of look to Claire, which is, you know, because in the first season, she's kind of very straight-laced, she's very, um, she, like, she's kind of one-dimensional with a three-dimensional edge, you, you know what I mean, like, you know exactly what she's going to do and say, and, and all of that, uh, I did feel, though, with this story, you knew where it was going, and how it was going to get you there, you know what I mean, like, I, I don't, there was no point where I thought, okay, it's gonna end on this note, and riding off, and you know, like you just didn't, but you knew it was gonna get right up to the edge of. You know what I mean? I I, I think there was definitely. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like maybe you couldn't. Maybe other people couldn't. I kind, of, but that's what you know. I kind of felt was gonna happen, and that's what happened. Like, I wasn't disappointed by that, you know what I mean, like, I didn't feel, oh, this is, I'm let down, you know what I mean, I wish it had gone in a different way, no, I was happy with the way the story played out, I was happy with the, um, the character arcs and all of that, I did, it, the, you know, breaking the fourth wall, that did get a bit weird, like, 
I mean, it, it got a bit weird in the fact that like one of the character ca- characters kept on pointing it out. So, you know what I mean? I, I, which makes it odd because, like, if you're making the break in the fourth wall, a uh, uh, kind of, you know what I mean? Just a, a bit that isn't actually happening, but it's just this little wink to the audience. But then if you're saying, oh, someone else is picking up on this, then everyone needs to be picking up on it. Because it's not like it's subtle. You know what I mean? That's the thing. It's not subtle. So everyone should be going, um, why? Like, what's happening here? Like, you're disappearing. You're turning away all the time. And it looks like you're having a conversation. Like, what's going on? But no one else is picking up on this. So then to have one character pick up on this, it's a bit like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. And I think because it was such a thing in season one, it like I think it could have been toned down a little bit in this season. Or a new mechanism could have been kind of devised to get that kind of narration, that conversation element out there. You know, I I think that would have been a benefit to um, proceedings. It would have made it a bit fresh, you know what I mean? That, but, you know, look, this is what only what I'm thinking because as I said obviously like the Guardian and all those places and and so many other people you know they've been like telling me oh my god this is amazing this is incredible this is fantastic so these are just kind of points that could just be me you know what I mean it's it's just me wondering um you know what I mean and scratching my head about because the acting was good I mean don't get me wrong on that like the acting and as I said I enjoyed the character arcs I liked where things were going that was all good for me it yeah it was just like there was some things that seemed a little a little played out and a little predictable not too detrimental to the story itself, and definitely not to the enjoyment of. But yeah, they they're just things that kind of, I think, like were just with me through my watching of this. Uh, but I will say, look, if you are a fan of season one, and you haven't seen season two yet, watch it. You will enjoy it. You won't be disappointed for sure. You know, if you're if if you like the kind of dark, dry British humor kind of shows, if you if that's your kind of thing, check out Fleabag. You know what I mean? Definitely do that. I think though. Um, if shows that kind of jump the fourth wall a lot, if, if that's not your thing, then I would say probably don't watch 
don't watch Fleabag. It probably won't be for you. But, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not long episode. So, I would say always give it a try. Give a, give a few episodes a try. See what you think. So, it's on BBC iPlayer. I believe it's going to be there for a good few months. So, um, you know, go check it. And I think it will be coming to Amazon Prime as well. So, um, there are your viewing options, people. Uh, so, yeah, go check out Fleabag Season 2. All six episodes are done. So, yeah, go have some fun. This week, I've um, decided to pick up Mike Heron's fourth novel in the Slough House series. This one is called Spook Street. And as usual, it's read by Gerard Doyle. So, never outlive your ability to survive a fight. 20 years retired, David Cartwright can still spot when the stouts are on his trail. Radioactive secrets and unfinished business go with the territory on Spook Street. He's always known there would be an accounting and he's not as defenceless as they might think. Jackson Lamb worked with Cartwright back in the day. He knows better than most that this is no vulnerable old man. Nasty old spook with blood on his hands would be a more accurate description. The old bastard has raised his grandson with a head full of guts and glory. But far from joining the myths and legends of Spook Street, River Cartwright is consigned to Lamb's team of pen-pushing no-hopers at Slough House. So it's Lamb they call to identify the body when Cartwright's panic button raises the alarm at Service HQ. And Lamb who will do whatever he thinks necessary to protect an agent in peril. So, um... Yeah, that's a description for Spook Street. I do feel it probably says too much. But then again, I don't think that... It's just the way the book is written that the big kind of... Dum-dum-dum... Isn't. (laughs) You're in straight away, you know what the deal is. I think the problem is because the way the book is set up, everything is a bit too much on the nose. You know, the, the, the subtlety is lacking a bit here. I, I think the, there's not a lot of subtlety at all really in this series as a whole, to be fair. Um, but with this book, yeah, the, the, the whole intro... You're kind of, well, it's weird, but you get two kind of intros. So you get this one that's setting up this event that happens, that takes place, that is the start of everything, but you don't know that while it's happening. So it's all a bit random. Then we get another intro that's around David Cartwright. And so 
the way this intro is, it's just like, you know, I un- I think the specs, you know, the stouts are out. I'm, yeah, people are hunting me, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, oh, yeah, he's all senile, bum, 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 bum. And so then when this next thing happens, you're like, okay. Well, you know, I, um... I don't believe it because you're drum. You're, you've just spent the last few minutes trying to drum into our ears that hey, this guy's senile. Oh, look at how funny and weird this guy is. What a kook, hey? Eh? What a kook. Then you're meant to believe that this thing happens, and it's just like. Mm. No, <laughs> you haven't sold it. You've made it obvious where you're trying to take the story. So, you know, what I mean, I've, it's like it's not a big secret for long. But I think if it could have been a secret up until the moment where it's confirmed, that would have made the story a bit better. You know, what I mean, because you need the this cloak and dagger you need that little bit of suspense for you then to believe other events because it's hard to ever believe anyone's in peril it's hard to believe of real danger because you're just like obviously if someone's gonna uh, you know get it it's not gonna be until the right at the very end or just before the end so no one is actually going to buy it yet. I, but that's just the nature of these books. It's the nature of the writing. You know, you, you, you just can't... You know, yeah, it doesn't sell things to you. Now, that's, you know, that makes it sound like, you know, these are dreadful books. They're not dreadful books. Once the story gets going, they're kind of, they're fun little stories. They're interesting. You you're kind of invested in the characters. You know, you you you're kind of like, oh, what's going to happen with Stella? How's Louise going to take? You know, the events that have happened previously. You know, what about River? And you know, you see, so you're thinking about the characters like that. But I think another kind of issue, like yes, Slough House is meant to be a joke. It's meant to be where they send the fuck up. But I feel a fuck-up in the Secret Service isn't the same as a fuck-up in the admin office. You know what I mean? It's it, it's just like, yeah, they, they, they didn't, out the gate, they weren't a fuck-up because they wouldn't have got as far as it would need them to go to South House. Because if you fuck up at the very beginning, you're not even making it into the service. So for them to fuck up, they were kind of good at their job at a, at a point before it all went to hell. But the way these characters are kind of written, they are so shit at their job. It's just ridiculous. You know, it's just like, oh, I didn't even think that there could be people following. Oh. I didn't even think I should check if my gun was loaded. Oh, you know what I mean? It's just all this kind of crazy stuff that you're like, really? 
really like what huh are they that bad they can't be that bad they can't be that terrible you know but it, it it's just painted in this way that they're just completely useless so you're just a bit like if they're that useless then what's the point you know, like, do I really care now? I don't know. Uh. And then you've got Lamb with the whole, oh, look, he's farting again. And he's picking his nose and blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, okay, okay. Like, look, you can say once or twice that this guy is this certain thing, but then it gets a bit tiring after a while. You know what I mean? Like, it does get a bit tiring, and you're just like, "Would he wouldn't be here? Come on now, let let's be honest. Let us be honest, really. You know, but like, and the shame of it is, like, the core of the story, you know, sleeper cells, um, and all of this. That's kind of interesting. That's like, oh, that's a kind of a, a different concept." You know, I mean, like, I think we've had it touched upon in films and other things like that. I think LeClaire may have mentioned it in something. But, yeah, it's still an interesting kind of concept. So you're like, oh, oh, so, and now it's research interesting. Okay. So you have all this story that's kind of compelling, kind of interesting. But it get it, it's getting ruined by some of these other factors, which is a real, yes, yeah, a real shame, really. Um, I don't know. Okay, people. So I hope you've been enjoying this week's episode. You got a little music as well, so you know what I mean. Can't beat that, right? All right, we're gonna hit some TV news and then bounce. So, um, Fox has cancelled um, The Gifted, which was its X-Men-based TV series, which isn't surprising. Like, I'm, I'm not quite sure who actually owns Fox TV as it stands. You know, because I, I don't know if that came with 20th century fox to disney but anyway because if you think about it right so the gifted is produced by marvel television and all the new tv series on disney plus are being made by um marvel studios now there is currently still Runaways and Cloak and Dagger that are on Freeform and Hulu. But I believe they are higher performers than The Gifted has ever really been. Because in its second season, um, it averaged 1.1 ratings in a Live Plus 7. Which was half the numbers of the first season. So, you know, 
it's not a big surprise that that series is now gone. And also, when you think about it, because, you know, Kevin Fieg has has said constantly that they're not going to rush with integrating the X-Men into the MCU. You know, they're going to wait a little while before doing that. So it makes sense to kind of cancel this stuff and then really define the voice with a strong statement probably in 2021. That's what I would imagine. You know what I mean? Because we've already got films scheduled this year and next year. So it makes sense not to do anything, you know, and then come with a big statement in 2021. That's what I imagine. But, you know, we'll see what we'll see what actually happens when the time comes. Um, so, uh, you know, the, uh, Jerome Flynn, who people will know from Ripper Street and obviously Game of Thrones... He has now joined the cast of the Dark Tower TV series at Amazon Prime Video. Um, which is interesting. Uh, because, you know, we had the film that came out in 2017 with Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. Which pretty much bombed, you know, <laughs> critically and commercially that was a flop now the original plan was to do the film and then do a tv series that then linked into the mythos and what had already been laid into um into place but because of the whole mess they've decided that the series will stand on its own as a more faithful adaptation of the sprawling world Stephen King created through, I think it was like five books, maybe more. I think five, but yeah, I'm not really, um, I'm not that aware of 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 that series to be honest. I've tried, I tried the book several times. The first book could never get into it. But, you know, so Glenn Mazzara is the series showrunner. And um, you have uh, Sam Strike, who is going to play Roland Deshan, the gunslinger. And Jasper Pakonenen, who's in Vikings, will be the man in black. Alright, so is that, uh, you know, principal photography has now officially started on the Picard TV series, which is big news. I know my, a few of my friends are very excited about of this. Patrick Stewart is back as Jean Luc Picard. Uh, yeah, and it's going to be ten episodes. That they uh yeah they they they're filming now, 
Um, and I, I believe it said that, you know, everything is going to wrap in September. Okay, so, yeah. I don't know. So, that I, I guess we're going to be seeing this next year. I'd imagine, right? I mean, that would make sense. But, yeah. Interesting stuff. And, hey... You know, with Game of Thrones airing right now, and this being the last season, HBO are really on a tear with um, putting new things in place. So we've got um, Josh Whedon, he's got a new sci-fi series called The Nevers. Um... Which is, uh, you know, going into production at the moment. Um, So, it's following a group of Victorian era women. Which, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Laura Dunley, who, um, you know, is in Outlander and The Fall. She is, uh, you know, she's going to be a lead in this series. She's playing a character called Amelia True, who um, is described as the most reckless, impulsive, emotionally damaged hero of her time. A menace to stuffy Victorian society, she would die for the cause and kill for a drink. Yeah, okay, I mean, you know, we've seen that character before, but, you know, it'll be interesting, we'll see what happens with this, also, um, Amando Inuki, who, um, I think everyone knows from Alan Partridge, The Veep, The Thick of It, and, um, the film The Death of Stalin, that won awards uh, a couple of years ago. He has uh, he's created this series and directed the pilot episode. Uh, so um, yeah, it's called Avenue Five, and it's set forty years in the future when the solar system is everyone's oyster. Uh, it's going to star Hugh Laurie as the captain of a space cruise ship with um, Josh Gad, Zach Woods, Nikki Amuka, Rebecca Front, and Lenora Cricklow, Susie Nakamura, and Ethan Phillips. So, um, yeah, you know. It could be interesting. I mean, from all the stuff that um, Inuku has done in the past, you've got to say that, yeah, all, all is looking good. But, yeah, I don't know. We we will see. And another thing from um, HBO, Adam McKay has um he's working on a um a TV series called Showtime which is um 
going to be based around the 1980s Los Angeles Laker, Lakers and their kind of stranglehold on success and the NBA of that period. Uh, so, yeah, McKay is going to be directing the pilot and... Um, yeah, they're, they're currently uh, they're casting, uh, hoping to film in the summer. So, uh, yeah, if you, you think about that period, you had Pat Riley as the coach, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They went to the NBA Finals eight, eight times. And they won four of those. So, you know, this this could be very, very interesting. Uh, you wonder how truthful it will be as well. But, yeah. Yeah. You know. And finally, CBS All Access has renewed The Good Fight for a fourth season. It's the spin-off of The Good Wife. I, I've heard good things about both. I have not seen either. I believe they're on Netflix. So at some point I will check them out. But um, yeah. Currently it's in its third season. Which is due to finish mid-May. But yeah. Fans of the good fight rejoice. Because a full season is definitely coming your way. Alright people, so that is us for another week Now, look, if you see Quasimodo trying to find, you know, a flat share Hook him up, because no one's talked about him in all this tragedy, right? He's got no home, the spire is burnt down, he's got no home It'd be Like Esmeralda like, kicked him out a long time ago so yeah, people, he is definitely a victim of this fire tragedy. So help him out. And people, we all know what is coming later tonight at midnight. Avengers Endgame is coming out. I've got my tickets. So... um Hey, I'm going to let you into a little shine shine Tune into Echo Chamber tomorrow for sure because we will definitely be talking Avengers Endgame, people. So that's right. Have a great week. Enjoy yourselves. Get your Marvel on and have fun, people. Have fun. All right. Check you then. Peace.